Hello, my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, and this week, we're talking about all the movies that we saw at the Toronto International Film Festival 2023. The Oscar race starts here. And we're deciding which are the contenders, right, Will? That's right. I predict, all right, I'm just going to lay it down now, this year's People's Choice Award winner and eventual Best Picture winner trailer of a film that will never exist phony wars ah jean-luc godard's final picture and his suicide note many are saying that he's never won best director one of his films has never won best picture and and my sources in tinseltown are saying that this 20 minute short film will perhaps be kind of a makeup oscar his for... gangs of new york no wait the departed if you will that's right yes of course he didn't win shit for gangs of new york did, wait did it win any technical oscars eh, uh, no sure it, it actually won zero oscars and that's the kind of fact that i care around in my head while precious childhood memories are are being dropped i know people were sitting at their keyboard ready to jump on to correct me i don't care please stop yeah so the films that we saw at tiff you had a press pass i had an industry pass which is basically the same thing pretty much yeah and we were able mostly to go see movies that like happen during press screenings so usually they're very early in the morning mm-hmm. and you just go you show your pass you can go and see the film they show the really popular ones early in the morning to thin th- out the herd that is correct so you know get get up very early to see your new me well it's a good thing my friend doesn't program movies at midnight or anything otherwise maybe i'd be in trouble what has your tiff experience been this year how have you enjoyed it it's been okay you seem a little tired i do i had a really packed first day because that's where all the con titles are i saw five movies the first day yeah i think i saw four or five and ever since then even looking at the list like i haven't been able to pack my days we are a long way away from when i had like the 50 dollar student path and i had to stand in the rush line wait for all the press to go in and then they would let like two to five of us whoever's at the front to go in to see the movie and i would pack my days oh i couldn't get into this one I will just see whatever else is available. That is not the case anymore. That's interesting because I really do feel like I've, this is a little corny, folks, but I've been rediscovering my love of cinema at this festival. You've been going all in. I've loved it. Now, ideally, how would you watch a movie? You'd watch it, you know, in the evening or something. You'd devote a little time to it. You might not watch something immediately after. You'd you'd let the movie sit. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is the ideal way to watch it. But, you know, I think there's also something to watching all these things in this full body immersion. Well, you've been packing in Wavelengths stuff as well. And Wavelengths is the experimental cinema category of TIFF. I mean, I love I love just getting a sense of I mean, I don't know. It's impossible. There are just so many movies at TIFF. It's impossible to get, you know, the full scope of what's happening in contemporary cinema but i have liked trying Mm -hmm. and i've liked the experience of and this is really corny going from one dreamscape to another (laughs) you know it's like in the morning you're in switzerland and then you're in india and then you're in japan i used to do that all the time and then i was like oh god these movies i have a vivid memory of it being like 10 a.m me sitting and watching an italian film in the third row and going no i can't do it anymore (laughs) and like trying to squeeze my way past everybody that was there so two things one I'm, I want to see a lot of stuff now so I can cross it off the list. Mm. It's nice. Like to, important movies? Just, yeah. All sorts of like the fall big movies. It's nice to just have a period where it's like, okay, we're focusing on the contemporary cinema and we're going to see what some of the, some of the big movies are. And, and B, a, a lot of these movies I might actually miss if they're in theaters. Yeah. So it's nice to, you I know. agree. I try to see the kind of movies that I know that may pass me by. Mm-hmm. But then again, I think this year I was more pragmatic with going, huh, but I want to see movies. I also 
hope that I will like in some way. That's true. And I think I have a much better sense of my own taste than I did like 10 years ago mm-hmm. when I would just go see, I don't know, whatever bad Oscar contenders were playing. The, yeah. the, the men who stare at goats. Now, are there some of those in there that we may have seen? For me, yes, maybe, absolutely. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm waking up at 8 a.m. What's playing? All right, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Even though I'm always kind of amazed that like I'll be walking into like a big movie that everybody wants to see and then I'll look over and I'll see a gigantic line for something else and you're you're, my first thought is like well what is that line like why are they here for this i found it rather unpredictable what the popular movies are Mm going to be like you know there are some movies that they'll cram it in like the smallest theater at the scotia bank and like a hundred people will be turned away and then others you know i saw the wavelengths movie mademoiselle canopsia in a huge cavernous theater with you know five other press <laughs> <laughs> well they put i mean isn't every theater huge and cavernous you're seeing a press screening of a wavelength film i guess that's true did you see any of the public wavelength screenings yeah or- i went to all three of the shorts programs mm. climaxing with the aforementioned monsieur godard all right well let's talk about the godard because people they're chomping at the bit they're like is he back he says it's his well, best film he, by definition he's not back well maybe the film reveals that his death may have been a little exaggerated <laughs> i've been hearing those rumors bit of a andy kaufman-ish prank well yeah so i the thing that i was in some on some level most excited to see at the festival this year was trailer of a film that will never exist phony wars which is jean-luc godard's last completed film the last one that he himself oversaw and and saw projected before shuffling off this mortal coil i think there may be one or two others that are being posthumously completed and it is a collage film it's a series of tableaus and found footage and like still tableaus and you know bits of text photos you know what to expect Mm. but it's also it's it's a a much slower tempo than even the image book or goodbye to language now did you find yourself moved watching it Yes, but I don't know. First of all, I don't know what he's getting at, but that's nothing new. Listen, the war in, let me look at my list here, is what he's going against. I found it moved in the sense like... If it was you, his final film. Yeah, and if you talk to somebody with dementia or you talk to a terminally ill person shortly before the end, this is kind of what the experience is like. Mm. You you hear you hear the fragments of things that you used to hear them say. But you hear his voice, right? You do hear his voice, which did actually move me a little bit. You hear his rather papery elderly voice in conversation with someone but yeah and then you hear little bits and pieces of trotskyists and palestinians and the jews and all sorts of things that you know (laughs) you hear godard talk about all the time and and you're not i'm not quite sure well have we ever been he's going out the way that he came in yeah yeah and he goes out the prankster as ever like there will be long stretches of this short that are like silent and then all of a sudden a blaring orchestral score oh, I like that just and like jump scare orchestral score so you know the master was still at work up to his old tricks towards the end i was surprised to hear from you that they didn't include the documentary somebody's been working on around this final short yeah i understand the kino will be releasing that they'll be releasing a whole package but instead i saw it on a program a shorts program with chantal ackerman's early 
like the films that she made when she was 17, four short films to as part of her entrance into film school, as well as a short by Pedro Costa. The Ackerman ones, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'm sure somebody who's a, a true blue Chantal Ackerman scholar would like, be able it's to... It's all there! Well, I mean, I, you know, it, like it is, it's primitive. It's out of focus at times. It's a little... I, re- I was reading an article in Cinemascope that was helpfully explaining some of it, saying that like you can see the influence of the French New Wave and other things that were sort of fast at the time but you know the gaze the 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 perspective is there mm-hmm. and 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 i'm nodding yeah I, i'm I, nodding I, too I, it looks a bit like home movies to me but yep. but i, I was, was hoping you were like ah it's a very complex slapstick homage to harold lloyd <laughs> i mean to me what's most remarkable is like you know within within a year she had her first actually theatrically released short within eight years jean dealman came out like the the home movies are are interesting they're nice and it's just amazing, like, how quickly she evolved after that. And Pedro Costa, who was there at the screening you were at? Mr. Pedro Costa was there, and his short was basically a proof of concept for a film that he wants to make eventually, which I imagine must be why he was there. That can't be the only reason. He just loves Godard, right? Wanted to see his good friend say one final goodbye. So you saw the movie that I keep hearing about more than any other movie at the festival and that I haven't been able to see, which is The Zone of Interest. That's right. I got in real early in a pre-festival press screening. What can you tell us about Zone of Interest? Zone of Interest is Jonathan Glazer's new film. Are you familiar with John, Mr. Jonathan Glazer? Birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And did you ever check out his music videos on that DVD that was floating around back in the day? You know, I did not. I did not. I know there were all those like auteur music video DVDs. Love I didn't, those so didn't much. really look into those. They were really funny menus where it was he revealed how he got all of his ideas and he just went up to a random person on the street and asked him what to do and he's like okay yeah yeah all right that's what i'm gonna do and so this one is i mean when i heard the premise for this i was like oh my god no it's about a family living beside auschwitz nazi family and the husband of the family is in charge of the camp but get ready buckle up will you Mm. never really see anything on the other side doesn't that blow your mind well, I mean, it seems like the latest in a long line of uh, debates about what to represent and how mm. regarding the Holocaust. It's interesting. Or it's also, you know, every goddamn Holocaust film that we hear about every year. We get so many like, of them. Like uh, Son of Saul, for instance. Exactly. Yeah. But in this case, man, this movie's good. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, I described it almost the way that he shoots it is almost Wes Anderson-y at times, where it's a real, like, dollhouse look at like this family and the wife who loves where she lives and like you know she's very proud of her garden the kids that are doing what they're doing and the way that the film starts and like kind of the first half plays out is that you're never quite given something to hold on to you it's almost like flipping through a family photo book all these little moments that are happening slowly you're building up who is who and the relations that they have as you also hear like screaming and gunshots always kind of slightly off in the distance Mm -hmm. and what the movie does so smartly is that you kind of get invested in these awful people because you never really see them do awful things Mm. except for maybe one little comment that like the wife says at one point to one of the maids saying like you if I decide to, you'll be Ash. Mm-hmm. And it's just like said under her breath as something else is happening because she's in a bad mood. And, you know, everyone will say that the reason this movie is as moving as it is, is it's not like a lot of those films are looking back 
and seeing these horrific things. Well, I, I'm thinking of more Hollywood versions. But like with, with, with the weight of what we yeah. know from the present. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, this movie's kind of asking you the question, like you look at this and go, well, I would never be this person. Mm. And it's like, well, are you like, yeah, are you like, do you see yourself in these people that like you hear these things, these things are happening and you're doing nothing. And I think that that's, clearly what glazer was going for on some level and by the end of the movie it it hits you it does a kind of art of killing thing at the end as well as oh another pal told me another movie that it reminded him of and oh, i don't have it in front of me right now and so like it kind of builds to something that emotionally it works very well by i don't even want to say what technique that it does because it would just ruin it and you'll be waiting like when is this going to happen in terms of like these kind of movies, which if you had explained it to me, I saw it here because I would have probably not gone out of my way to go see it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, like Totally. I, I'm very excited to see it when it comes out. I've yeah. been hearing a lot of good things. And it's one that it's interesting because it's it's not difficult in the way that you think it will be. And that's it's kind of like poison pill to the mm-hmm. viewer. And what I very much enjoyed to see it like deployed on screen in that way. Well, you mentioned Wes Anderson, and I'd like to turn our attention to Finland's Wes Anderson. That's right. Aki Karismaki, probably Finland's most acclaimed contemporary filmmaker. I really liked his new movie, Fallen Leaves, which very simple story of Two characters, both blue-collar workers without a great deal of job security in a sort of dystopian, not actually dystopian, very realistic contemporary Finland. And I mean, the comparison to Wes Anderson is is instructive because he's he's much like Anderson in the sort of arch humor and Bersonian acting style and, you know, the the static compositions with everything, you know, carefully arranged, the the dry art and wry understatement of it all. But unlike Wes Anderson, it really takes place in the real world. Mm -hmm. And you look at this movie and it looks like one of those movies that takes place, you know, under communism somewhere, but it's actually taking place under capitalism in the present day. But then at the core of it is a very sweet and understated story of missed connection and then found connection. So highly recommend that one when it comes out. Well, on the first day, I also, you know, got my Film Fest bonafides by seeing the new three-hour-plus film by Nuri Bilge Ceylan, the Turkish filmmaker. Now, I had seen Winter Sleep, and had perhaps maybe taken a few Z's myself when I saw yeah. it at the Lightbox. You, you thought it was Winter Beast, and you were very <laughs> oh, confused. What's this? But I loved his last movie, The Wild Pear Tree. Love, love, love it. So me and my pal Mark Hansen, who very proudly says, love to see the new Nuri at 8.30 a.m. on the first day of the <laughs> film festival, which he had done previously, sat down to watch this one, which is, from the beginning, seems to be about a teacher who's having a inappropriate relationship with an elementary school student. Mm-hmm. And it's in this, like, completely snow-covered remote place. And it is kind of about that, but it's also about someone revealing themselves to be a loser and why they're a loser and why the kind of little things in life they kind of nag at you and end up kind of destroying any relationships that you have that as you know, viewers from a distance, we're like, what is he doing? Then you think about it and you go, oh wait, have I ever done something like that? Of course, everyone listening to this has done something like that. It's beautiful. It is, you know, three hours and change, but like the wild pear tree, uh, it's, I didn't feel it long because you're always kind of trying to catch up and say, all right, where's this going next? 
very dryly funny as well. There's mm. like long conversation scenes and the way they kind of snake around and the humor is right underneath it about like these petty jealousies or these power struggles. I love to see that kind of stuff on screen. So would highly recommend about dry grasses or just check out the wild pear tree, which was released on Blu-ray last year. I think it has like a four hour documentary subtitled that you can watch on the second disc as well. I was talking about how it can feel like being plunged from one dreamscape to another at the festival. And I certainly felt that when I was rushing from the Karis Mackie to the theater just down the hall to see the new film by Shinya Tsukamoto. I was like, Will, you got to see this one, a new Shinya Tsukamoto. Yeah, from the director. That's right, folks of Tetsuo the Iron Man. You know, it was my fifth movie of the day, and so I was definitely feeling it, but I thought, look, when am I going to see this in a theater? It's not going to play in theaters. No, like, it, none of his others did, so, no, like, this so one won't. It has to be this, and I'm I'm glad it was my last movie of the day, because it was a sort of, like, <laughs> You came in, and you were like, I hope this is a fun one. I was like, well, oh, it's not going to be. That's the thing. I knew nothing about it except that Tsukamoto directed it, and I thought, maybe it'll be an action movie. No, he hasn't made one of those in a long time. No, it's, it's a come and see in miniature, basically. Yeah, it's called Shadow of Fire, and it's a war as hell story about a little boy who looks about six or seven who well experiences several different tableaus of poverty and abjection but maybe also just briefly little flickers of love and hope during the second world war and the movie for like the first 45 minutes i think me and will had accepted like it's only going to take place in this one claustrophobic location we ain't leaving the shop that the whole film is taking place in but then suddenly it opens up almost as shin sukimoto's like i gotcha we're going out into the wider world even though this is a world war ii film and it's clear we had no money to make it which is one of the things i like about it i kind of like it as an exercise i like it as yeah how can you make a movie like this on basically a direct video budget Mm -hmm. on a direct video scale and you know it's a it's a simple movie basically it boils down to war as hell but every now and then are like flickers of of love i love the way that they kind of show war as hell like when it suddenly turns into like a road movie between Mm -hmm. two people and you're like what are they going to do like a lot is made of the kid has a pistol on him that he carries around all the time and at the end of the day it becomes like is there hope can you can you change things? Can you change people? And can you just keep going? Mm-hmm. Even if like war has turned you into an absolute monster at the end of the day. Yeah. So I was quite moved by it, mm-hmm. I have to say. So another movie that we both saw together, one of the talked about movies of the festival that I was rolling my eyes at. It's like, oh, my God. One of these. Right. Agro Drift. No, I was going to say Vim Vendors. Oh, Vim Vendors. Perfect uh, days. Well, how, let's talk about both. Let's start with Vim Vendors. I'd rather yeah. talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> so Vim Vendors. Has not had, let's be honest, a good movie in a long time. When I told you I was going to see this one, Mm -hmm. you were skeptical. Yes. So I knew it had played festivals and people had liked it. But I was like, is it like a green book kind of like we, you know, oh, it's so heartwarming. We can find, you know, purpose and love as being just a simple janitor. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I thought about that too. Mm -hmm. But I do think the movie, it's not, it doesn't really have that sense of like noblesse oblige Mm -hmm. on the part of the filmmaker. Yeah, so basically it's Vim Vendors kind of returning to his roots and just following a low class, I'm putting air quotes around it, as it's perceived by culture at large, person just going about his day doing his thing. There's not really any plot in the movie when there's any kind of conflict that arises it's like an hour in and any other movie would have made forefronted that and made that the kind of main crux where his niece comes and starts living with him but even that is like done before you think it will be and 
it, you know, it, it's not like a huge kind of big emotional catharsis. Right. I mean, I know Vendors is a huge fan of Ozu, and mm-hmm. I'm sure he's kind of drawing inspiration from from that. The main character, by the way, is played by Koji Yakusho, who won the Best Actor Prize at Cannes this year for this role. He's a janitor who specializes in cleaning public toilets in Tokyo, and he goes from one to another. He has a, a route that he does every day, just cleaning. And we the, see it like three or four times. Cleaning the public toilets, and in between, when he's in his truck, he listens to his treasured cassette tapes of boomer pop oh such boomer dad hits it's the stuff you know kings of the road all over again yeah but when kings of the road it was cool and new and now it's just like the stuff from back then which which i I like you know and and much like you know another kind of ozu inspired movie patterson jim jarmusch's film a lot is in there about like the simple pleasures that make life worth living like reading a book you just go back to the book day after day or the scene halfway through this movie when somebody's trying to get him to sell his cassette tapes because they're retro now they're they're vintage analogs back he can get a hundred bucks for these but it's like nope nope not selling my tapes and Mm. he does he, he doesn't speak for most of the movie and the implication is basically Look, if I don't have these tapes, like these tapes are better than money, mm-hmm. you know? Or when he goes to the dollar book section, I was like, I've been there. Oh, like, yeah. Looking at those books, like, what do I want to read next? But yeah, and you know, there's, there's treasure in those dollar mm-hmm. book sections. Yeah, um, I love it. And I, I really enjoyed this movie. And just, just like the slow pace of it and the kind of repetitiveness of it. Well, just, I was happy to see what new him. wondrous toilet we were going to visit next in Japan. Well, I mean... Not the first person to say this, but that one toilet in particular with the door that locks changes. That's right. Yeah, where it goes from opaque to clear. Like what? What do they got? What technology do they have over there? It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, do we have public toilets in Toronto? I think we do. They seem to always be locked. It's called Starbucks. Mm, yeah, and then they kick me right out. Okay, agro drift. Oh, you want to jump to that? All right, people want to hear about agro drift. Well, I don't know. I just want to. I just want to talk with you about it because mm-hmm. we didn't talk after the screening. No, because I left. I could catch the TTC. So. And- I like to see our good pal Peter Kaplowski be roasted on stage by Har- by Harmony. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's still up to his old tricks. Yeah, Harmony Korine is back and he's done with movies. He's he's over movies. First David Letterman, now our pal Peter Kaplowski. Will Harmony not just have some mercy on these people interviewing him? Yeah, all, all my heroes getting punked. By Harmony, Harmony got banned from Letterman after that appearance, right? Well, yeah, I mean Letterman's. Well, he was on Letterman like two or three times yeah. and then the last time according to letterman he came into the dressing room and saw harmony kareen like looking through meryl streep's purse and <laughs> oh, wow. get the fuck out yeah so this one aggro drift well he's done with movies he's very inspired by tiktok and youtube and just other other forms of image making and he's responded by making an experimental film now i've read those interviews and I, and I will say this to Mr. Corinne. Those things are pretty exciting when you watch them because mm-hmm. they're supposed to grab your attention. Right. I don't know if that's what he's making in Agro Drift, other than using the aesthetics and idea of those things and then crafting a feature film around it. Well, and also, I mean, the idea that it's, you know, post movie or whatever. I mean, it's like, sorry, it's a, it tells a story. It's a I'm giving a classic it's, like Will Iroh. <laughs> like, yeah, come on. It, it's like, I'm sorry, Stan. Crash Humpers is probably more post movie than this. Yeah. Uh, Stan Brackage made Dogstar Man 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. But on its own terms, what do you think of this movie? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed the first 10 minutes of it. Yeah, same. And then it showed me everything it had up its sleeve. So for people who don't know, Agro Drift is shot with like infrared cameras and AI to... 
create this. I gotta uh, be clear. This AI is like the AI we all saw right when it started. Yeah. It's like he had a like one month subscription to like Dali and he's like, I gotta get this in my movie before it expires. So it's all kind of like video toaster style mm. color effects and a wall-to-wall slow EDM synth soundtrack. I do want to say like, oh, Harmony, I'm glad you discovered shot on video films because that's like kind of the aesthetic that he's doing right i mean look by the second half i found it a bit tedious Mm -hmm. but as he said on stage at the end he makes movies for himself images that he likes edgelord productions okay uh, you'll get back i'll I'll get to that (laughs) he makes movies for himself that that he likes sitting in and everyone else is invited and i think it's great that he likes this Mm -hmm. it's not other people like it too wildly disparate reactions Mm -hmm. and i feel very in the middle about it yeah me too it's like i i I, see what I respect, I respect yeah. it, and if you like it, that's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny. It is funny at times, yeah. Yeah, we're dance, dance, yeah. dance. Or the guy who's like thrusting his pelvis over and over again. Yeah, it's it's like someone is hitting like a control on their gamepad. It's like, oh, I just want him to thrust now. Beep. Yeah, but if it were 40 minutes long, yeah. or, or better yet, 10. 10, I would be all for it. Oh man, yeah. It yeah. is funny at times where it's like the main character is walking around wearing an ill-fitting suit his big gut hanging out being like i'm the greatest assassin well i think he's saying that because the mix is impossible to understand any of the dialogue oh it's also worth noting that one of harmony corinne's other inspirations are like video game cutscenes, like grand theft auto Mm -hmm. cutscenes, and you can definitely see that in that one scene where he goes and shoots the guy in the car do you remember that like the sort of like awkwardness that was the thing style uh that's the clip i had seen where he's like oh my god i'm bleeding oh everyone Yeah. is dubbed in this movie except for travis scott yeah who they clearly got for one day and then they were like we're just gonna use his audio on the day everybody else can come back in and do this definitely yeah definitely things i liked about the movie but overall yeah i like that it exists yeah and i'm glad i saw it at the midnight madness screening because harmony puts on a show for you he does the mask he does i saw i saw some of his employees in the audience with mm-hmm. little masks, masks. and in contrast to the Venice screening, where apparently there were mass walkouts. I saw one person walk out. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But I think everybody everyone, wanted to be everyone there. Everyone got it. Yeah. yeah. And there was some tension at the beginning where there were like laughs and i was like oh, are people gonna be laughing like throughout but guess what harmony doesn't give you anything to laugh at that's so, right yeah, that's right there's he not just enough happening on screen dulls you into a stupor but hey that was at the midnight madness program what else have you seen in midnight madness i saw where, where the spooks and the goblins come out to <laughs> I see anything spooky i saw dicks the musical which i very much enjoyed even though it does have that kind of you know sheen of a short extended into a feature film mm-hmm. like it was clearly made for no money but it was actually a film that stars and was created and performed for like seemingly a decade by two people who have never been in anything before aaron jackson and john sharp and they somehow got like larry charles to direct the dictator himself <laughs> the director of the dictator <laughs> Oh, you know, Borat, which is the one that is... He's, you know, a, he's a real army of one, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. And you also have Megan Mullaney, Bowen Yang, and Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane. The great Nathan Lane. Now, he commits to this movie. He's back, folks. Yeah. He's so funny in this film. And I think that, like, this would have probably worked better on stage, where it was the two people played every role. Mm. And so you have the kind of, like, going back and forth. Here, it was really funny for, like, 40 minutes, mm. where it ends up being, like, a parent trap thing, where it's like... Oh, we're trying to get, you know, our parents to get back together. And they are two very gay men in real life who play very macho men who love having sex with women in the film. (laughs) That being the joke. And that Nathan Lane, I don't want to spoil the main joke of the movie. When it shows up, it's so random. Did you see this film? No, I haven't. It's so random and out of nowhere. 
And like one of the characters is like, what are you talking about? But Nathan Lane plays it completely straight. Mm -hmm. And like that, that's a, it never gets funnier than that. And they keep going back to that as well. Mm -hmm. I'll tell Will off mic what it is. It's actually on the poster. Oh, please do. Also at Midnight Madness, we both saw Kill. Yeah. An Indian action movie. A Hindi action movie. In kind of the the raid vein. Mm -hmm. Although I do think it suffers a bit in comparison. Like if you say it's like the raid, because. Do you? Do you think so? It's, it's pretty uh, much like the raid. It's okay. Like it's a, it's on a train, you mm -hmm. know, and it's you know, an army of one yeah. against one villain after another. And I will say this movie, like the action is pretty good in it, but I thought the filmmaking was just a little bit pedestrian. You know what? I would, it's very straightforward in its filmmaking. If yeah. you look at the guy's credits, he's never made an action film before. He seems to have been hired as like, Oh, this guy can do it. Mm -hmm. But they let the action team take over whenever there's And the fights. action is, is strong. Yes. Yeah. Very violent. That's how I sell it to people. Very violent. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. heads are crushed. Heads are decapitated. Mm -hmm. Bone, every bone in a body is broken and very close claustrophobic as well which i very much enjoyed about it i remember when i watched it i was like oh boy this is gonna be so boring there's no space to fight and you know what they figure out they try to find a new gag every time something happens lots of heads are bonked against like baggage carriers we'll talk more about tiff maybe on next week's patreon episode just just some extra things that we see oh should we tease the boy and the heron i'm sure people want to hear about that well let's yeah okay let's end with the boy and the heron and then other things that we've seen we can talk later oh, okay so we're gonna give people what they want we won't make them pay for it because we're good podcasters. That's right. Yeah. So the boy and the heron, Hayao Miyazaki, the bitch is back. <laughs> He's uh, back. You thought I was dead. I'm not. I mean, this is kind of an unspoilable movie. I love that the whole marketing campaign in Japan was just one poster. What could it be? Is Miyazaki going like super experimental in this one? And that's why they can't show us anything? Incorrect. It looks like a Ghibli movie. There has never been more of a Miyazaki movie than this one. Right <laughs> yes. down to the fact that the story kind of reminds one it's like of, a mixtape it's spirited away yeah with a bunch of other elements mm. a little bit of howl's moving castle a, bit, a little bit of totoro mm -hmm. you know everything's in there there's a lot of it there's even like the first period where it's like more calm than mm -hmm. you would expect for the beginning before the young boy is pulled into the fantasy world and in the second half i felt a little bit overwhelmed by this movie there's just so much stuff in it i wonder if one of the reasons is that like they want to hold who like the villains of the piece are who are so goofy looking in a cute way that like there's going to be a million toys of these oh yeah you will not be able to escape and they're in all the colors too so putting aside everything else like I, I just loved looking at this movie. I just love being in the company of Miyazaki. All of every single creature design, everything in this movie. Like there's just one scene where somebody is like spreading jam on toast. Well, it's all so Beautiful. carefully like, you know, choreographed. So much personality. Every moment and is present in every shot. And like, you know, there's there's a subplot involving like a flock of seagulls. And are you going to see that hundreds flock of seagulls fly around, each of them distinctly animated? You know you will. You sense Miyazaki loves every seagull, including the one that we get to see and talk to, the mm. injured one. And then as the film goes on, without spoiling anything, it has been widely interpreted as a Goro Miyazaki distape. Well, you think it's directly to Goro? Yeah. I, 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 I almost feel like say it's that. Miyazaki saying, you cannot continue Studio Ghibli. That's like it cannot continue beyond me. I'm the one who basically did its style. I know there's a, a lot of really top directors as well, but like what we associate with it is mostly him. Yeah. And he's basically saying at the end, like, you can't keep doing it without me. This, there's literally a metaphor of like a structure that is just like barely holding on. And an old man is putting it like a little bit more every day. And he's like, if I leave, it will just completely collapse. 
and a decision that it makes at the end of the movie basically comes down to like, hey, let's just burn it all down. And you know who's really not going to carry on the legacy? Hayao's son, Goro. Well, Goro's directed... The thing about Goro is, like, every time I hear him talked about, it always sounds like he just came in, and they won't let him do... He's directed multiple feature films at this point. And you know what? They're not good. I mean... <laughs> like, I hate to bring I mean, it to you. listen, we talk about Nepo babies and everything, and it's perfectly valid, mm. but, but also, there is a shadow to having Miyazaki as your dad. <laughs> yeah, if I was... Maybe I wouldn't get into animation. <laughs> I think I would maybe try to find a different avenue that I could pursue, but yeah. you know what? Maybe he's super passionate about it, and... It's unfortunate that the films that he makes are not that good. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, Tales of Earthy. Remember that one? We all love that one, right? Yeah. But what can I say about The Boy and the Heron? Not my favorite Miyazaki, but very good. Mm, very good. Very I good. think anybody going, they're going to like it. I mean, it's like, I say not my favorite Miyazaki, but it's like, really, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's you amazing. Know? Yeah, yeah. So that'll be it for this TIFF wrap up. Until our next one. On a Patreon. Soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like we only got through like half of our movies. I think that was like a day My and God. a half. We have, we have so much more to tell you folks. So check out <laughs> Patreon. Not this week. It'll be next week. That's right. Yeah. So we have any letters. We do have letters. I just love movies. Can I just say that? <laughs> I, I love, love the movies. movies. Which one do you think like made you go, wow, movies, popcorn, love it. Oh, wow. Well, that's a very specific phenomenon you're mm. talking about. Well, okay. Okay, maybe erase the popcorn. I'll get into this a little bit more on the Patreon episode, maybe, but Radu Jude's Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World was probably the best thing I've seen so far. Oh, you big Radu Jude head now. I, I like him. He's good. All right. So our first letter, which uh, if you want to contact us, you can do so at PornCinemaClubPodcast at gmail.com. has a subject line, pounding my fist on the table, clutching a fork and knife. More theatrical cartoons. What's up, docs? Uh, what an opening. Been getting caught up on your show, and I got to say, Awooga, easily one of the top 100 podcasts to feature an episode about men in gorilla suits. I was going back through the archive, and I was hitting myself in the head with some mallet while my tongue rolled across the table in horny ecstasy listening to your Tex Avery episode, even though it featured some slander from my boy Droopy that will keep both of you from ever knowing Heaven's Light. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I just want to stop. Did you go her. back and no. like listen to it to see? Do we, do we diss Droopy? No. And... and it bothers me to hear that we you know just droopy. I, I can hear ourselves going, who likes droopy cartoons? Okay. Cackling and giving ourselves high fives. So what I will say about that is you put a microphone in front of somebody for seven years and you force them to just talk and talk and talk. Mm -hmm. Eventually they will say things that they don't stand behind. Yeah. I love Droopy. Droopy's a great man, a, a model American. So let's hear more about. I, I I retract anything bad I've ever said about Droopy. Most of the negative stuff that we say usually we come around and we're like positive. Well, like, do you remember the first time late. we talked about the Bowery Boys? Boo, I, bad. I, I think I said. How are these funny? I said to myself, I will never be a Bowery Boys fan. And look at me now. I'm. I don't know. Yeah, Justin is showing me the book that he just picked up, the films of the Bowery Boys, hardcover. Yeah. And do I still do I find the Bowery Boys funny now? Doesn't matter. I just love. <laughs> Them. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If we watch them together, we probably laugh. That's right. We should. So, continuing the letter, would you ever consider doing another episode about theatrically released animated shorts? Maybe a deep dive into Bob Clampett? A salute to Goofy? Wow, a salute to Goofy. Oh, man. Bob Geef himself. Is that what it is? It's something Geef. Remember, you don't know that? He had a name and like a wife for a little while. Oh, wait. I, di I actually didn't know that. Yes. Go Goofy interests me because like there are many different like parallel Goofies. I mean, there's that, you know, you look at like Clock Cleaners or Goofy and Wilbur, or, you know, those early ones where he talks and like there's there's definitively Goofy. And then there was about 10 years of shorts that were like how to ski, how to go to bed. Yeah. His name was George G. Geef. Right. And, you, and all those ones, Goofy didn't talk because Walt Disney no longer employed 
the guy who did his voice. And so they just did a long series. Yeah, because he was a union man, I believe. Th- 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 that's right. So they just did a million shorts where Goofy doesn't talk, and it's just a generic every goof. And then finally, Goofy becomes a family man in his last incarnation with, you know, Max mm-hmm. or, or whatever. And so I do think Goofy is a rich... Like, we should do, because we did a Disney episode on kind of World War II years. I would like this, to this, get yeah. into like the anime because I don't really have that much familiarity with them. I mean, yeah, some of them, some of it's very good. A psychosexual autopsy of Ub Iwerks <laughs> could be a useful break glass in case of emergency moves. The podcast ever becomes too popular. Oh, I'm just well, talking don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> Keep fighting the good fight. So I was reading this email and I was like, oh man, I know that famous cartoonist Branson Reese follows us on Twitter. I wonder if he would do an episode with us because he knows this stuff like through and through. I love reading his theatrical short reviews on Letterboxd. Oh, so good yeah and then i got to the end of the email and i was like oh branson reese wrote this email oh thank you yeah i mean very nice to have branson reese writing to us i think we're both fans of his work yes i loved his cartoons hell was full do you have that yep i have that book and i would read them religiously when he put them on he also does swan boy now and a swan boy animated series that i would like to watch please please make it available somewhere where i can stream Mm. and again a letterbox king people listening to this you are almost guaranteed to have seen one of his comic strips because he did the famous no fear strip that the punchline is what if Simpsons porn was illegal? <laughs> Look it up if you, well, don't search Simpson porn, but just search no fear comic strip and you will find it. It's been too long since we've done a cartoon strip, I think. I completely agree. Or cartoon, theatrical cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do get a little nervous because I do know the specter of Thad Kamarowski, who is like the cartoonist historian. Like I listen to the What a Cartoon podcast and they'll do like three and a half hour breakdowns and Thad in the comments will be like, well, actually this and this and this. And he's correct because he knows all this stuff, but it's like, how much will we be able to get wrong in just 25 minutes? So much. What will we miss? But yeah, Bob Clampett. Let's do Bob Clampett. I love Bob Clampett. Yeah, let's do him. So our next letter is from Ryan and it's about AI. Finally, the important cinema club gets to weigh in. Dear Justin and Will, huge fan of the show. In a recent-ish episode, you said in passing that artificial intelligence relies on work stolen from human artists. I agree, and I'm generally hostile to the use of AI in the arts, both for that reason and because of the way it is used as a cudgel against creative professionals in labor disputes. Add to this the terrible quality of most AI outputs, and my basic attitude has been that this technology has no defensible application in artistic fields. Having said all that, I recently came across some experiments with AI on YouTube and Instagram by Damon Packard. Thank you so much for introducing me to his work. As you might imagine, Packard managed to use AI's accidental uncanniness in interesting ways, to the point where I could imagine him assembling a sort of weird but exciting feature out of AI-generated parts in the future. My question for you both is whether artists like Packard should refrain from using these technologies, given their dubious origins and applications. As a director, Justin, are you tempted to, or do you play around with these tools? Please discuss. Personally, I have not played around with AI. don't really have any interest in because it's just using other people's work and recycling it mm-hmm. without their permission. On the subject of David Packard, that's really easy because his work has always been utilizing other people's work. That's right. He's that a found-footage artist, yeah. among other things. I mean, I don't want to be too dogmatic about this because, you know... <laughs> I, I, do I like the stuff that you do? Then you get the pass. I, I, I'm just saying, like, any any technology is, like, just that. It's yeah. a technology, and it could be used for good or evil. I mean, if you're looking I mean, this at, one's being used for evil most well, of the time. Well, most of the time, yeah, actually. But, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about, like, the reason you're looking at Damon Packard's use of it is because he's using it to express his personal vision. 
Frankly, Harmony Korine with AgroDrift. Like, he's using AI in that movie to express something that's unique to him. The issue with AI is when you're using it to kind of create something that is not of your own. Mm. And you're trying to pass off that thing as like, oh, look, I mean, the famous one is there's a YouTube page who did like, oh, we did anime using AI. And the moral problem there is that they are using the templates of anime movies mm. to learn the AI to then be able to recreate the images based on other people's works directly. And I mean, obviously very dystopian to hear that, like, if somebody writes a hundred TV episodes, a computer can, could just pump out yeah. an episode that looks like theirs. Yeah. Which is why the writers are on strike and uh, the actors are on strike as well. Like, we don't want that. We want laws in place that that cannot be done at a like big studio level because what they want to do is just get ai to write a script and then they bring in 10 writers to keep doing drafts of that script until finally they go to camera with something so yeah my answer is for the most part ai is used for evil but like any tool it could potentially be used for good yeah we're the arbiters and we say damon packard gets a pass on it yeah 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 C come to us with every case no we'll, don't, we'll, don't, we'll, don't. I, I don't want those emails I, I got a gavel right here that i'll bang yeah, yeah so just send a dm to will on twitter no <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that's it for the letters this week. And you can reach us again at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com. Now, brief plug. We mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again. October 3rd, the Fox Theater in Toronto. Justin and I are showing. I mean, if you liked Agro Drift, you'll love things. You'll love. Th if you watch Agro Drift and you were like, I wish more stuff happened, but then stuff wasn't really happening. Things oh is the God. answer. Th now, Things is post-movie. Oh, yeah. Th <laughs> things is the greatest Canadian direct-to-video horror movie of all time. Some have called it the worst. I disagree. They're wrong. They're Absolutely wrong. wrong. And I, I swear, this is a direct-to-video horror movie that needs to be seen in a theater. You've never seen anything like it. Foxtheater.ca. That's the Canadian spelling of theater. Things. Big screen. Justin and I introducing it. Mm -hmm. Hobnobbing. If you've ever wanted to talk to Justin, he'll be legally obligated to. Yes. Yeah. I'm a very like, ah, yes, the thing that we're at. Where's Justin? And there's just like a, a, an outline of smoke where I used to be. <laughs> there's there's the door. There's an outline of your body <laughs> <Yeah>. on it. <laughs> as you <laughs> Just running right out the door. So next week. So when we we're talking about festival stuff, it feels like we started festival month three years ago. Oh, my God. We've only done two episodes. That's right. So we are in the middle of festival month. Mm -hmm. We have two more episodes coming and we're thinking who are directors who we want to talk about who mostly thrive in the ecosystem of the festival circuit. And the argument here about this filmmaker is he's barely thrives in the festival circuit because he could not get people to play his films. Will's looking at me confused. Wait, who are you talking about? I'm talking about Patrick Wang. Yes, The Bread Factory. That's right. And the director of In the Family and The Grief of Others. That's it. Those are the three feature films that he's made. And what I do know is A Bread Factory has been called one of the great American movies of the last 20 years by such f figures as Jonathan Rosenbaum, Peter, Justin. Mm -hmm. It was played at the What the Film Festival. Patrick Wang actually showed up. What a nice guy. So many recommendations of movies I had never heard of that he saw at festivals. So he's like, oh yeah, I wandered in here and oh, great stuff. Mm -hmm. Patrick Wang is one of those guys that like, he, he is not lifted up by festivals, if you will. Otherwise, he would make more movies because like it takes years and years for him to do them. He shoots them all on film. They're a little long, but like two of them are long. One of them is actually short. 
Because he almost did like a Godardian, like, I need a double bill with something. Let me just shoot like a 90-minute movie and get it out there. Very excited to talk about them. Very excited for people to discover these films. They played it for the first time on film, I think a couple months ago, at the New Beverly in L.A. Wow. Like, Patrick Wang had a print. No one had ever asked him to screen it, and he was finally able to show it. So, we'll be talking about it again. In the family, the grief of others, and a bread factory. So, until next week, my name's Justin Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. As per usual, I'd like to thank some of our new patrons who include Alex Owen, Muse Productions, Kyle Gustafson, John Daniel, Patrick Carroll, Joshua Gonzalez, Ryan Callahan, Garlic Fred, Finnegan Hughes, Andy Andy, Lucas Barwinswick, and Andrew Craybaum. Thank you very much for all becoming patrons. We could not keep doing this without you. Well, we've been at the Toronto Film Festival. Have you seen any celebrities? This is a Celeb Central, you know. Oh, I boy. mean, not this year. They're, they were all on strike. I kind of blew my load last week when I said I, I sat behind Finn Wolfhard at a Ben Schwartz comedy show. My God, I want you listeners to understand the circles we travel in. <laughs> Finn Wolfhard sat in front of Justin DeClue. Yeah, and he turned around and said, I'm a big fan of the Important Cinema Club. Anything you need, Justin, I'd love to give it to you. Yeah. Other than that, I was walking down the street. Someone was in front of me. And I went, ah, that person seemed vaguely familiar. Okay, I'm going to try to guess. Yes. Adam McGoyan. No. Now, Matt Johnson. He looked about our age and... Kazakh Radwanski. Oh, no. Oh, am no. I getting warmer? No, you're not. I think I told you who this person was. I've forgotten. And I had to think for a second I, uh, to go, wait, I don't really know what this person looks like. I know his name. Why would he be here? Because he doesn't have a new feature film. And I was going through my head going like, all right, all right. Why would he? I got it. He produced a film that played yesterday, which is why he'd be here. Now, this is all going through my head as I'm just casually walking behind this person. I'm not taking my phone out. I'm not taking photos or anything. I have no interest in that. And then finally, I walked by and I went, yes, I've decided it is him. It was the great horror filmmaker himself, Ari Aster. Whoa. Just walking down the street. And you, you know what you should have done? You should have done a Bo is Afraid yeah, on him. Like, ah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he doesn't already see that like every day when he, when he walks down the street. Did I scope out exactly baseball cap? Shorter than you think, which is, you know, all celebrities, of yeah, course. Yeah. And book under his arm, wired earphones. That, uh, all this data went into my head. And then I walked by him and went away. Yeah, what are you going to do? What am I going to be like? Harry Astor. Hey, it's nice to meet you. Good luck. I haven't really spotted any celebrities. I did see Jiminy Glick. <laughs> he was on the. Wait, did you see that article that was going around recently about anti Martin Short? Oh, I mean, that article was just written to get yeah. people mad. I feel, you know, speaking of things we've said, have we been anti Martin Short? I feel like we have. So we did that episode on the Jiminy Glick movie, which, in fairness, was a bad movie. Awful. You know what's good, though? The Jiminy Glick show. Yeah, and Clifford. Yeah, we love Clifford. Listen, love Clifford. if I've said anything even remotely anti-Martin Short, mm. it comes from a place of love. Also, a place of not that many good movies in his filmography. Well, Let's yes, be honest. Yes, yeah. we have to be honest about that. But it was fun like when people were responding to that article and just sharing like the clips of Martin Short over the years. Like I was looking at these clips and being like, you know, I have underrated him a bit over the years. Like, mm -hmm. very funny, man. Very funny. Arrested Development, you know, when he's the Jack LaLanne type. Oh, he's so funny in that. Or, or that clip, or the, when he's Jiminy Glick talking to Spielberg and he says, when are you going to make the big one? <laughs> you know, the one that really clicks with the public. Did you see him interviewing Larry David <laughs> about like the Jew? 
Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very or, funny. Or, or with Mel Brooks, he's like, what's your beef with Hitler? <laughs> See, what's funny about those interviews, or the, I want to look down on them, is like, they know it's Martin Short in that suit. Right. Like, and that, Again, it seems insidery. Yeah, yeah, but it's still funny, though. It is Because funny. of his character. Yeah. Wait, you were going to get into you've seen somebody famous. No, I haven't seen anybody famous, but I am excited to finally go to the fourth floor of the light box and see the Sylvester Stallone exhibit. Wait, there's a Sylvester Stallone exhibit? Tomor- I did not hear about Listen, this. Listen, tomorrow, we're gonna go. if you're downtown, let's yeah, go yeah, together. Okay. We'll check it out. What do you think that, is going to be there? Can that be the Patreon episode this week? <laughs> <laughs> of us walking through live the yeah, Sylvester yeah, Stallone Yeah, wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> yeah. All right. We had a play Patreon episode uh, plan, but now we're ripping it up and throwing it away. We're doing we're doing Stallone. It's yeah. going to be so good. Stallone, the exhibit. Yes. Will be our Patreon episode. I cannot wait. Do you hope that maybe Stallone will like, be pretending to be a statue in the exhibit? Oh, man. I mean, he basically is now, if you see his face. Yeah, he is. It's like a wax. Wait, and by the way, Sylvester Stallone, if somehow this, if gets, this gets to you, cause, we cause, love you. Because now, now I'm worried. Now yeah. I'm worried about anything I say on the mic. Mm. But like, if Sylvester Stallone, this gets to you. Listen, you met, met the Pope. Now you're going to meet the important cinema club. Yeah. And, and I guarantee I've seen more of his movies than the Pope has. So. Oh, absolutely. And you loved all of them. Rambo 5, completely unproblematic. Yeah. Cobra. I like that one. <laughs> you like Cobra? Oscar. We're, we're laughing, right? I mean, a film du Landis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the other, like, Stallone or tourist projects that he's... There, are, there aren't a lot. Uh, no, there is. Isn't it weird? I that guess Ryan Coogler is kind of the only... Direct more of them? Well, I remember when Sylvester Stallone was doing, like, an ain't it cool news like audience q a we've talked about this many a time yes yeah yeah because he he loved harry knowles for a while what if we ran into stallone and we said we had a podcast and he's like i'm gonna see what they did on the do you know what the title of that episode oh i know (laughs) i know will he laugh we'll be like those sons of a bitches but i remember in one of those ain't it cool news things somebody asked him about his career and he mentioned that he was offered a chance to be in broadway danny rose broadway danny rose playing the nick apollo fort part and he didn't take it because he didn't think his career should be that diversified at the time he wanted to focus mostly on certain kinds of movies and he regretted that i mean he likes woody allen films but he doesn't like that little nervous fella in him (laughs) well as we know from that scene in bananas where he uh that's right, where he roughs him. him up. Yeah. I would have loved that, like, Stallone has a weird, like, art house kind of turn in his career. It would, I mean, Copland was kind was of the his, only was one. Was his attempt. But it wasn't like, I mean, Woody Allen's not really art house or anything no, like that. But, but James Mangold, even less so. Mm-hmm. So I would have loved if there was that. He just never did it. And, like, reading that Ain't a Cool News interview, though, filled me with so much hope of the weird stuff Stallone would do. And they just didn't do it. Well, now he just... Edgar Allan Poe, he makes, still got it in him. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Make that his final film. <laughs>